Good morning. Good morning. Um, can we get the elephant out of the room here real quick? Um, Brian's been influencing people about the Rockies. And I noticed it this morning that Christy, like, oh, between hockey and football, nothing's going on and it's such a drag. I get it. Our team is terrible, but they're my Rockies. So show a little respect. I, I, when they are down, I'm down. And so be on notice, all right? <laughs> um, if you're new with us, my name's Scott. I have the privilege of being the pastor here as well as teaching um, God's Word this morning. And so I want to seek Him uh, before I dig in. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, as I pray in private, all the time people don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, I submit to you. I humble myself before you, before my church family. Um, God, this isn't about me or any person or the name of our church. This is about Jesus. And we want him to be lifted up and glorified. We want to receive from you, Father, instruction that will help us live the kind of life that brings you honor and glory and us the utmost joy. In Jesus' name, amen. As it's already been noted, it's hard to believe football season is already here. Did we even have a summer? Like, it just goes, flies by. And whenever football season comes around, it's a catch-22 for me, personally, because I love football, especially college football. Like, if I didn't have any responsibilities on a Saturday, I could watch college football from the first game to the one that ends at midnight. Like, that's just how much I enjoy it. Um, but the reason it's a catch-22 is fall means summer's coming to an end. And I love summer. I hate winter. <laughs> Anybody with me? Okay, good. I thought for sure I was going to get these christmas aholics yelling at me about that, man. Do not talk about Christmas until December. Um, ooh, I got booed. I got booed. You've never even been booed. Oh, man. So, with the football on the brain, who won the Super Bowl last year? Okay, took a little second. Who won it the year before? You already forgot. The Rams. Let me go way back. Who won it in 2013? Negative. Negative. The Baltimore Ravens. See how quickly we forget? Who won the World Series last baseball season? Not the Rockies is true. <laughs> and you're fired as well. <laughs> um, it was the Houston Asterix. I mean Astros. They, they won it last year. Who won the World Series in 2014? Not the Rockies. I get it. The, nope, the San Francisco Giants. So why do I ask these silly, trivial questions? We tend to forget. We need to be reminded. We need to recall things over and over and over, especially when it comes to the gospel, especially when it comes to the truth about Jesus. We're coming to an end of this summer series called Whosoever Believes, where We've been going through the letters of the New Testament from Romans, and we're going to finish in Revelation 
two weeks from now. And what we've been doing is trying to get an understanding of the context and the crescendo meaning or message in each one of these letters so that when you go read the Bible for yourself, you'll be equipped a little bit more. That's been our hope and prayer through this whole thing. Today, we're looking at 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Last week, we talked about 1 Peter, and I went into great detail about Peter's life and who he was as an apostle called by Jesus and, and being just a prominent figure in the early church and someone for us all to, to learn from. Peter was an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He saw him do miracles, how he lived, how he taught. He died, and he rose again. So he, he, we have two letters from Peter. I'm going to start in 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. He says, Dear friends, this is now the second letter I have written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. He wants them to remember. He wants them to recall what what has happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's important to always remember when you're reading anything in the Bible, who is the audience? And in Peter's two letters, the audience is the church that's scattered throughout the known world. And they were under great persecution by Rome because Christians talked about this other kingdom that wasn't Rome. And Rome got jealous and was so pr- proud that if you talked about this, even this spiritual kingdom, we're going to persecute you, throw you in jail, and even kill you and martyr you. And so that's, that's the audience he's writing to in both letters. The apostle wants to remind them of the gospel. That's the theme throughout most of the letters is, is to equip believers, but to also remind them. And then in Chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, again, this idea of reminder. He says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Even though you know them and are established in the truth, you now have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Peter knew that he was on his deathbed, so to speak. He was going to be martyred for preaching Jesus, not denying Jesus. And we know by way of church history that Peter was crucified, and that's how he died. But when they went to crucify him, he said, crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. And we know that's how he, he went out. So I think it begs the question, if you were on your deathbed, what would you tell those that were most important to you? What would you remind them of? What would you say, hey, I want you to remember this because I'm going to be gone soon. And I want you to recall these important things in your life. That's how we have to read this letter. 
Because this is a guy that's saying, hey, I'm, I'm about out of here. But I want you to remember these important things. And so as I was studying through Second uh, Peter, there's three chapters, and I saw three reminders um, that we, he was reminding his audience of, but that we need to hold on to today ourselves. And the first is this. Because of Jesus, we have all we need. Because of Jesus, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. And if you don't understand that today, then I, I humbly will say you need to grow in your faith. And so do I. Because I need to be reminded that I have everything I need because of Jesus. I was thinking about this this week. Elon Musk, right? Very wealthy billionaire. He has 10 kids. And do his kids ever wonder if there's going to be food on the table? Do they wonder if the bills are going to be paid? Do they wonder if there'll be Christmas presents under the tree for them? Of course not. He's one of the wealthiest men in the world. They will never worry about provision in their, their lifetimes, probably. They'll have other things to worry about because money doesn't solve all our problems. But the reality is provision for them. That's an example for us, spiritually speaking. You and I have everything we need because of Jesus spiritually. Everything that we need because of him. Why do we wonder if we have enough? Scott, why do you wonder if Jesus is enough sometimes? Well, Peter says this. He says, his divine power has given us everything. Say that with me everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Did you catch that? He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We lack nothing. We lack nothing. Everything that is Jesus, he shares with us. Ephesians chapter 1 says that, that we, we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing that's in Christ. So all that is Jesus, he says, I share with you. You are co-heirs to, with Christ. We are co-heirs with him. He's going to share everything with us. He shares with us. So what does that mean for you and I? What's our participation? How do we access? That's our job is to access that the reality that I have everything I need in Christ. And I've been praying for you all this week because some of us in this room or watching online need to be reminded that you lack nothing because of Jesus. And it's so easy for the evil one and doubt to drift us off of, get our eyes off of Jesus and, and who he is for us. So in each one of my reminders that I see here, there's going to be a therefore. And what is a therefore, therefore? You got to ask the question, what's it there for? And, and that's throughout scripture. So the first therefore, because Jesus is all I need, take your discipleship serious. Take your discipleship unto Jesus very serious. Make it the priority of your life more than 
making money more than success, more than any of this, take your discipleship to Jesus serious. He's our rabbi. He's our teacher. First and foremost, he's our Lord and Savior, but he's also our teacher. He teaches us what life is about. When, when, when people would follow a rabbi, they would, they would walk with the rabbi. They would listen to the rabbi. They would imitate their rabbi. And that's what's happening in our life is you and I, our discipleship is learning how to think, act, and speak like Jesus, learning how to walk with him and imitate him. And as you do that, as we do that, we will grow. We will grow and we will understand what life is truly about from his vantage point. Peter again says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Here's the discipleship. Here's our participation. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unapproved unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. As we walk with Jesus day by day, we're going to make mistakes. I do it all the time. I'm I'm very aware of my own failures. That's not going to stop me from following Jesus. I'm going to get back up. He can dust me off, and we're going to keep going because I'm banking everything on this man named Jesus Christ. I'm all in. He's the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though they die, they live. That's it. I'm with him. Second way we participate in understanding that because of Jesus, we have all we need is this. Take Scripture serious. You take your discipleship serious, take Scripture serious. Some people poo-poo the Bible, and they say, oh, it's just, you know, it's mythology. It's a lot of weird stuff. I get it. When you read the Old Testament, um, which I think we should read the Old Testament, and we do, there is some strange stuff in the Old Testament. Let's, Let's not, you know, try to run around that idea. But when you get to the New Testament, all of a sudden, the Old Testament makes more sense. And Jesus came to fulfill all of the Old Testament. So when you read the New Testament, you're reading four biographies of eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When you read the book of Acts, you're reading the history of the early church. And then when you read the letters, like what we've been going through, you're reading um, counsel from the apostles on how to follow Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. Peter says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Let me pause for a second. If you remember the story, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and they went to the top of of Mount Hermon. 
And it was at the base where Caesarea Philippi is. Those of us going to Israel, we will get to see both of these spots in October. He takes them to the top of the mountain. And the divinity of Jesus is shown. Remember, his clothes turned white. They saw all of his glory. And it was just this little glimpse that the Lord wanted these three disciples to say, man, this is who we follow. Yes, he's fully man, but he's also fully God. And he says, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Why should we take Scripture serious? Jesus took Scripture serious. He was very, very entrenched in the Hebrew Bible. And he started, as he grew in grace and knowledge himself, he saw himself, that he was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the Psalms and the things that were written about him. But the apostles also took the Scriptures serious. And the, the, what we follow today, 2,000 years later, is the apostolic witness of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Don't ever let somebody tell you that you're following a fairy tale. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but it's such a shallow argument. Because what we read here is historical. These are events that happen that can be... that that that. Just the way we believe that, you know, America became a country in 1776, none of us were there, but we have documents that show us what happened. Same with this. This is a historical narrative that, we're, that we follow. You can entrust, you can trust the apostolic witness of Scripture. And in Acts chapter 2, it says the early church gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's what we're doing as well today, is giving ourselves to apostolic teaching. Second thing Peter reminds us of is this. Because of Jesus, we have protection from evil and false teaching. We have protection. Jesus said all authority is his. In the universe, in the heavens, and the earth, all authority has been bestowed upon the man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, when you're in Christ... You have authority. He has all authority over darkness, and so do you and I. The, the, the evil world is, is a, a terrorist that's lost its guns, lost its ammo. That's what it is. Just It's a lot of this, a lot of talk, a lot of lies, a lot of whispering in our ears. We don't have to listen to it. We don't have to tolerate it. You have authority because of Jesus. And again, remember the audience and the context of this. They were being persecuted. Life looked bleak for them. Their brothers and sisters were imprisoned and even dying. What do you mean Jesus protects us from evil? 
and false teaching because there was a lot of false teachings going on about the nature of Jesus. And he's reminding them of this. He says, so you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. Here's, here's the reality. Things in life look crazy. We got wars, fires, competing ideologies, hatred, racism. You look around, it's just like, ugh. Here's the deal. When, th- when, you look like, when it looks like things are out of control, remember, Jesus gets the final word. He's patient. God is patient letting things play out so that every tribe, tongue, and nation will hear the good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why it seems like he's tolerating. But ultimately, he gets the last final word, and he's going to right every wrong when it's all said and done. What's our therefore? What's our participation? Two things. Stay focused on the truth. If if because of Jesus we have protection from evil and false teaching, stay focused on the truth. You know what the truth is? Jesus. He is truth. What he says, what he did, who he is, is reality. Everything else is competing to make you think of what what reality is really about. Jesus says, no, look at me. I'm reality. How I tell you how to live, how you watch my life is what reality truly is about. First John, the apostle says, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. And that's a confident promise that he who is in the world is the evil one. He says, greater is he who's in you. That's Jesus. It's something we can hold, hold on to. Um, there's a tension between, Lord, are you in control or not? Because you see all this stuff, and we, we tend to put our eyes on circumstances. This past week, I did a deep dive study into the book of Revelation in preparation for two weeks from now when I'm going to do a teaching on how to read Revelation properly. And... As I was reading Revelation right out of the gates in the prologue in chapter 1, John and Jesus make some bold, bold claims. Um, John says that Jesus, he is the king of the nations. Not he will be or might be, but he is now the king of the nations. Go tell that to the the New York Post or, or some other, you know, ruler in the world. They, they want to be king. They, they, want to, they don't want to hear this about Jesus. But he is the king of the nations now. People just don't realize it. And we, as his followers, have began to realize that all authority is Jesus's and that he is the truth. He is the king of the nations. And our lives are going to show forth who the king of our life truly is in how we think, act, and speak. That's the goal for all of us, is to allow him to lead. Not make decisions for myself, but seeking the one who is the truth. It's hard to see in this chaotic world, but he has overcome. It's not he will. He overcame in his mission the first time. He overcame our enemies of death, sin, and the evil one. Now it's a matter of us participating in that and learning and growing. Second thing in understanding this truth is stay focused on the new. 
Jesus said at the end of Revelation, he said, behold, I'm making all things new. He didn't say, I've made it, it's done. He said, I'm making. There's a process going on of Jesus making you and I new. Like, I look around this room and I see new creations. If you guys would have known me before I started following Jesus, you would have said, oh, I don't know if the Lord can save that guy. Like he's, he's off the deep end. But he did. And the people in your life that are struggling, behold, he's making all things new. He can turn the vilest of sinner into the apostle of love like he did with the apostle Paul. And a, a doubter like Peter and a denier turn him in to be the apostle Peter. He's doing that with you and I. Focus on the reality that you're a new creation in Christ. And then the last truth that we need to be reminded of that Peter reminds us is this. Because of Jesus, we know what the future holds. Because of Jesus, we know what the future holds. We are in dire need of hope. We talked about this last week. You're never hopeless because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we know what our future holds. That's what hope is. Our hope is in the finished work of Jesus and his promises. It can't, our hope can't be in something or someone that can be taken away from us because that's going to happen in this life. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, at the end of chapter 7, after he teaches what kingdom life is about, about what, he, what someone under the walking in the Holy Spirit, a life looks like, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and so on. At the end, he says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person that built their house on the rock. The winds come and blow, the rain comes, the storm comes, but that house stands. He also said the unwise person is the person that builds their life, their house on sand, on sand. And when the winds come for that house in the rain, that house is destroyed because it wasn't built on Jesus and who he says he is and how he says to live. Years ago, Memorial Weekend and July 4th weekend when I was young, we would go to Lake McConaughey. Anybody been to Lake McConaughey? Lake McConaughey in the summer, like clockwork, at about 5 p.m., a crazy storm shows up. A lot like happened the other night I was telling you about. And, you know, you, you put your camping stuff out, you got your tent, and you stake down your tent as best that you can in sand. <laughs> And you just hope for the best. Maybe put your cooler in there that your tent doesn't blow away or whatever. But like clockwork, at, at 5 p.m., the storm would come, and you would see tents just going just down the beach, somebody chasing after their tent so it doesn't end up in the lake or whatever. And I think that's a great illustration, visual, of you and I when, we're, when we realize we're building our lives on sand rather than on the rock. I'm like that tent, just rolling down the beach. But when you and I wake up daily and say, Lord, you be the center of my thoughts today. You lead and guide my day. I want your will to be done. That's the 
putting those stakes in the rock, and it's immovable. And it's a daily thing. It really is. We have those, those struggles sometimes. But when it, because of Jesus, we know what our future holds. Here's what Peter says. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness truly resides. So many believers have, and, and unbelievers have such a false notion about what heaven is, an unbiblical understanding of heaven. Heaven is not an eternal worship service. Because to be honest, some of you would be bored for eternity because worship might not be your thing. Is it going to be part of eternity? You bet. But it's not what heaven is, is solely about. Heaven is not us getting our angel wings and playing a little harp, right? Does anybody even like the harp music? Like, a lot of us is like, no, but maybe an electric guitar. But when it comes to heaven, think of it this way. This is biblically speaking, because both the Old and New Testament talk about the new heavens and the new earth. Heaven right now is temporary, just like this earth is temporary, just like your body is temporary. And the, the temporary heaven right now where our Brothers and sisters in Christ are with Jesus. It's where Jesus is and God's presence is perfect. Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So whatever that is, we're with Jesus, that's going to be good. And that's enough for me. But that heaven as it is now is going to change. Because when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ that are with him are going to come back, Scripture says, to, this, to the earth... And they're going to get resurrected bodies that are like Jesus' resurrected body that cannot die. And if you happen to be alive at the time of the second coming, you will be changed. After they get their resurrected bodies, you will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, the Apostle Paul says. And you will get a, a glorified body. So there's a select few. I don't know who they are. They won't taste death the same way the rest of humanity has. But they will be changed and have a glorified body. And Jesus then is going to recreate the universe. He's going to recreate the earth. And here's what heaven is. Heaven is on earth when it's all said and done. We will know each other. There will be animals to enjoy, dog lovers. There will be rivers to fish in. There will be mountains to climb. The Rockies will win a World Series. There will be amazing golf courses. And the truth is, you and I are going to have jobs. We're going to have a calling in eternity. And the scriptures teach us that how we live our lives in this temporary world right now is going to affect how, what we do in eternity. I don't know what that is. That could mean someone who's you know, a janitor here in this life, but is faithful to his wife and his kids and to Jesus might have some, some higher role. We don't know, but we do know that the New Testament is clear. We will be rewarded in the life to come. We, we don't earn salvation, but we will be rewarded according to the parable of the talents and other things for how, what we do with what God has put in our life.
And it's a measure of faithfulness. Success to God is faithfulness. So to have rewards in the next life has nothing to do with were you a pastor, a missionary, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's were you faithful to your spouse? Were you faithful to your family? Were you faithful to do what he's called you to do? I think that's great. The fact that, that it, you know, God says that there are rewards makes them very noble within themselves. And it's okay to live for that. It's okay. So, therefore, keep growing in your faith. Keep growing. Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. <clears throat> we have little baby Jolene. She's going to turn one on Tuesday. She's growing like a weed. Like, you know, it's just crazy how quick a year goes by. If she wasn't growing, we would think she was unhealthy. There's something wrong with her. If something physically, a plant, a crop, a person isn't growing, then they're not healthy. Spiritually speaking, we need to always be growing, growing in our faith. There's an old, old school term. Only a few of you are going to remember this in church but it's the term backsliding. Anybody ever heard that term before? All of us over 50 remember that word. Backsliding was an old school term of regressing in your walk, regressing in your faith, and, and stopping growing. And sometimes it was back in the day, it was just about behavior and did you listen to that rock music or did you have a beer or whatever, watch that movie. That's not what backsliding is. Backsliding's in the heart and in the mind, and we can regress in our, our faith. How many know someone who used to walk with Jesus but no longer does? Just ra raise your hand. You know somebody that used to say they were a Christian, now they're not. Um, I was talking to someone this week, and they were, we're, we were talking about a mutual person that we know, and the person that we were, uh, my friend was telling me about was raised in a Christian home. Uh, great family, great parents, but has and had a vibrant walk with Jesus, but has now denied the faith altogether and is just a believer in science, and this whole Jesus thing isn't real, and on and on and on. I mean, and it's like, how does that happen? How does that happen for us? Maybe for some of us, if we were to be honest, you've pulled back. And as Peter said, he was writing this letter to wake people up out of apathy, out of indifference, pulling back in your walk. I tell you, as your friend and as your pastor, today is not the day to pull back or be indifferent when it comes to Jesus. It's the day to press forward. And I know we're all tempted every day. You're going to leave this building and you get all guns ablazing about other things in life to get our minds off of including Jesus in every area of our life. 
now's not the time. It never is the time to be apathetic. Now's the day. Now's the moment to say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything I have. Jesus, I'm broken. Jesus, I've been apathetic. I feel it. I've been indifferent in, in my walk. I don't want that. I want to be full on passionate. I want to be, like Paul says in Romans 12, never lacking in zeal, but keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Keeping a fire going all the time takes work. You got to have the coals. You got to keep putting uh, wood on there if you're going to keep it continually. Well, for us, spiritually speaking, the scripture is the kindling in our lives that when we read and intake scripture, we learn the promises of Jesus. And it's hard to be indifferent to the, th the glorious things that Jesus has promised to us. And we learn how to live. The calling to follow Jesus is not easy, but it's worth it. It is worth it. Will you stand with me? I want to pray over two things. First of all, call to your mind right now that person or those persons that came to your mind when I said, how many know someone who used to walk with Jesus but no longer does? Let that person come into your mind, and we're going to pray for them. Father, we lift up the people that are in this prodigal, find themselves in this prodigal times. They're doubting, they're struggling, they're being wise in their own eyes. They've been hurt. Good chance they've been hurt by church or they've been hurt by Christians. Um, help them to get their eyes on you and to come back to you, Lord, and come back stronger than they ever were before in simple trust with you and an allegiance to you to walk with you wholeheartedly. Lord, shake off that, the, the indifference and apathy for them. Grant them repentance. Lord, it's your mercy that leads us to repentance. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Show them your goodness. Lord, where people have had a warped view of, of Jesus as some taskmaster, or Father, you as this angry Father in the, in the sky, Lord, help people to see the true vision of who you are in the person of Jesus. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, or maybe they're watching, that that apathy or backsliding or indifference has struck a chord with them. Lord, wake us up, including me to recall who you are and help us to stir up the passion for you. Where we know that a lot of us, when we first started following you, we had such passion and zeal and it's easy to get sidetracked. Lord, bring us back to that simple first love. You are our first love. Keep our eyes and our minds and our hearts fixed upon you. Lord, if there be anybody listening to what I'm saying that's never agreed with you, that you are Savior, 
and that you are Lord, help them right now to agree by faith and say, I accept you, Jesus, because you've accepted me. I believe in you as Savior and Lord. In his name I pray.